When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, if Celtic fans thought they were having deja vu when Brendan Rodgers came back in the doors at Celtic Park for the first time, they were certainly feeling like they had deja vu when they watched Celtic limp off after a 6-0 thumping in Europe by the hands of Atletico Madrid. Welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown, Enda here in the company with James and Alan. As always, we're going to be looking back at Celtic's 6-0 defeat to Atletico Madrid. Felt a lot worse than that but also felt a lot better in that considering you can put it all down to the hands of the referee. Well, not maybe not all of it, but a lot of it, a lot of it. And I'm going to do a lot of the blaming for the referee for this game, but we also do need to look at this game a little bit more analytically. And that's why you listen to this podcast as well. James, Alan, welcome along. How are you? Good day to you both. So who wants to kick this off then? What went wrong? We tried to do with this is you know, really put into context. I mean, what went wrong? I mean, very little went 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 right. But, you know, again, what is Brendan Rodgers trying to do with Celtic in Europe? Okay, he's trying to, um, he made, he's made the team a little bit more compact. Okay, so, and we're continuing to, we're actually playing an even higher line, believe it or not, than Postacoglu. Uh, but let's call it a mid-block out of possession. Um, Tucked into a sort of four-four-two shape. Uh, the spacing is a little bit more... Um, conservative or a bit narrower if you like closer than under Ange and and we give up less gaps because we're not pressing the ball nearly as much as we did under Ange we try to sometimes and then the third kind of pillar of what is Rogers doing in Europe is is how he uses possession and it's and it's almost using possession as a means of defending so we're, 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 we're keeping the ball we're not playing an awful lot of very aggressive forward passes, um, much less than under Andrew. We're not throwing bodies forward. We're probably, if Andrew was trying to get five people into the box, we, we, we might get four, but, you know, so generally not throwing as many people. O'Reilly's sitting much deeper with, with McGregor, to, even on, in possession. So those, that's that, and that's how, and, and that, that was incredibly successful for 45 and a half minutes in, in Rotterdam. It was largely successful, the game against, uh, uh, Lazio, and, and it was obviously, you know, the 2-2 draw home to Madrid is looking like an absolutely fantastic result, which it was, because uh, it could easily have been a similar score to the other night. So that's what he's trying to do. I think he's I think he's doing the right thing, and I think he's done it largely very well. We haven't had the bits, but that, that, so that's, that's, that's your foundation layer. 
Right, if you're going to win, not you know, even win, if you're going to get an away point in the Champions League, especially against a team like Atletico Madrid, you've got to execute that really well for 96, 97 minutes, almost perfectly. Um, you've got to not make any sort of individual errors and you've got to kind of get the rub of the green. So, you know, not get people sent off for re- relatively uh, soft, not soft, but certainly debatable decisions, not have the ball bounce up, hit your hand and get given a penalty against you, that kind of thing, or um, not have one deflect in off, off a player. All these things have got to be away. And your goalkeeper's got to have an absolute standing game. So all those things have to happen, right, if you're going to get a result in, in Europe. And, 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 you know, when they don't, and most of the time for Celtic away in the Champions League, they don't, then you get beat and occasionally you get hammered. I mean, Celtic have been hammered by five-plus goals on as many occasions away from home in the Champions League as they've, avo- as they've avoided defeat. So it's as likely that Celtic will get beat 5-6-7 as it is that they'll get a point or even win. They've won two and drawn four of 34 Champions League group stage away matches. You see the 91 goals in those 34 games. So this was always a high, reasonably high probability that a result like this was going to happen. If you then throw in an early red card, if you then throw in, and I don't want to pick on an individual because I don't think it's appropriate, but because we've talked about this, you a goalkeeper who is going to make the saves that you expect him to make, and he did, he made six saves in the game, but is going to get nowhere near the ones that are slightly outside his reach and pull off the amazing saves, didn't pull off any amazing saves, didn't keep mm. any of those long shots out, then this this sort of thing is is reasonably could reasonably be expected to happen. That and, that, and, that, and so therefore, this isn't a surprise, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. So, and so, so that's why the reaction of everyone throwing their hands in the air and going back to, and blaming Peter Lowell from 2000 and whatever, it's just, it's just, it's just ridiculous. Because actually, <laughs> I said to you both on air before Lowell arrived, Martin O'Neill had one draw in nine Champions League away matches and lost the rest. Mm. So this is this is this is Celtic in the Champions League away from home, and it always has yeah. been throughout the history of the Champions League. It's a very weird one. Um, we will look at the broader issues when it comes to Celtic and European football in a while on the podcast, but just sticking with the game, James. I mean, I tweeted during the game that like, at, by the time the game was over, I said, it doesn't matter if this ends 2-0 or 6-0 or 4-0, I think I said. I was being conservative with 4-0. It ended 6-0 in the end. The result was over at 2-0 with Maeda off the pitch because firstly Celtic had conceded a silly goal that first of all came from an easy cross that Joe Hart should have caught. He he decided to punch. That led to a throw, which led to a weak header from Cal McGregor, which led to a goal. And that was a really silly, stupid goal to concede early on in the game. Then we get to a decision from the referee that changes the game because it's given us a red card after a VAR uh, decision. It's a nonsense decision. It's what modern football is, though. And the game's sort of over. So Celtic sort of fell into a trap of, like, what do you associate Celtic away from home in Europe with? Hammerings, silly goals conceded, silly red cards, and just pretty much conceding awful goals like you saw with was it the fifth or sixth goal where Joe Hart was <laughs> already, he was already three yards behind his line, 
when he attempts to save it for some bizarre reason. That's what I associate Celtic away with. And it just seemed like a typical Celtic bingo for away Champions League games. Yeah, if you don't laugh, you cry. Um, so the, you know, Allen's uh, patented three mistakes equal a goal. Um, when you were recounting that sequence for Griezmann's first, um, that popped into my head. And, and we talk about this incessantly, which is we make those sequence of mistakes domestically, um, but the, the recipient of the mistake is not Griezmann <laughs> uh, on, on the edge of your box. It's, it's more likely to be, you know, um, a bottom six uh, number 10, or if it probably not playing a number 10, but you take my point and somewhere around midfield um, as opposed to right on the edge of our box. And uh, so, you know, even all the things Alan said, uh, I, I think for that 10-minute period, and we've, we've seen it at Feyenoord, we saw it um, w- against Lazio, th- this is not something that um, was a one-off, even if it was for a you know, relatively brief stretch of the game prior to the red, is, is that's the encouraging part, and we've been talking about it, which is you can see the plan, the plan's working as far as the plan goes. Um, it... it seems like it's just kind of the organic aspect of the competitive dynamics and the level of players that we're recruiting is, is, you know, the major issue here. And those, those are, you know, so this is the frustrating part um, is that, you know, you you get the, the napalm sentiment after a game where, you know, um, Rogers gets slammed for decision-making. And again, it, it, you know, in that kind of game, you can always debate certain aspects and, you know, going four, three, two versus four, four, one, or, you know, the, all, all these things that are fine. You know, that that's to me a, a rounding error relative to um, kind of the structural issues that, that drive this. Um, and so that, that's how to Alan's point, I mean, this is not a surprising result. It shouldn't be. Uh, particularly given the sequencing of how things played out, the, the level of the players that we have on the pitch, um, the injuries that we have. I mean, within that broader context, I don't think this should be surprising. Um, that's the disappointing part, which is I I wasn't surprised. I mean, that's the, you know, that to me is the more upsetting part, which is, oh, okay, well, yeah, that makes sense. Um so, I mean, the specifics of the game, I, you know, we, we've, um, I, that, that's probably the other part. And I, I don't find it alarming. These people are human beings. Um, but, you know, the, 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 there's seemed to be a drop in level after the second goal and into the second half. Um, again, I, we don't have tracking data to back that up. Um, but, you know that that's a little bit concerning, but again, I it's they're humans. I, I I understand why that would happen. I mean, that's you're basically um, you know lambs being led to the slaughter in that second half. So you, you've got a you know forty five fifty minute window of probably going to get humiliated playing a man down against its side of that level, um, who can bring on the likes of players that they did versus the likes of players that we brought on. Um, I mean, it just got to be you know, silly 
uh, and had we played full intensity for, you know, and, and hell's bells for, for those 55, 50, 55 minutes, could it have been four nil instead of six, you know, it could have still been eight nil if, if a couple of their shots don't hit the bar, don't hit the, you know, uh, you know, certain little things come off of them that, that very easily could have, even if we were playing super intense. So yeah, it, it yeah the 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 level of fight doesn't really concern me to be honest because i mean they could have you know fought as hard as possible in that second half and still lost six no and also somebody could have picked up an injury you know so like it's is is it better that they just sort of not wave the white flag because i I don't think that's really fair to say that but i think most people who's ever who have ever been on the uh, other side of a beating against vastly superior opposition in like say a cup competition be that at Sunday league or at in a semi-professional league or a professional league you're you are just scunnered is the word I would use by the end of the game where okay I'll chase after this ball but they're just going to pass it around me and they're going to be on the attack straight away so it is like it is it's human nature to sort of you know drop your level a little bit and just say listen this game's over we may as well just get in get out and get home to Glasgow as quick as possible. So, but um, I, I, th- I think youth, youth sports are, a gr- yeah, youth, youth sports are a great, um, uh, you know, microcosm of, of these basic human aspects because you're dealing with these younger children and they're just raw. And, and I, I remember vividly, I'll probably never forget this. Um, my son's, I think it was like, I don't know, seven year old basketball uh, rec team went to play a really good team. And lost forty-two to nothing. Okay, which in, in basketball, for those that aren't familiar, that's beyond humiliating uh, to not score at all. And at the youth level, where I forget they were playing like five-minute halves or something, eight-minute. I mean, it was a relatively small amount of time to give up forty-two points. And you know, the, it's normal that people, even in, in you know, we talk about this at this level. It's all about fine margins and incremental. So them not playing at 100%, maybe at 98%, which is completely understandable given that, that what they were confronted with. It's not an excuse. I'm not saying that we all in a perfect world wouldn't want 100% all the time. Um, but for them to just back off a little bit is how this kind of thing can happen. Um, and like I said, I think it's imminently human for that to happen. Mm. It's it's quite important for the match itself, Alan, and looking at it, it, it's quite irrelevant now in the aftermath. But what's your thought process with the red card? So, again, I'm biased. <laughs> but um, to Get me... the Yorkshire Whistler on this, Alan. Well, yeah, you know, I don't usually bother him with this, but I might just get his observation. Because I, in, the, in the back and forth I've had with him over the last couple of years about decisions... Um, I'm a little bit more educated on the, on the laws, sure. But and, and so it comes down to this difference between sort of reckless and, and sort of careless. Um, I think if if Maeda has any sort of stamping motion towards the guy's leg, any sort of force in that action, I would absolutely completely agree with the red card. But to me, it looked like, firstly, it was Maeda was more more like sort of dangling a leg because it was a, a challenge for a ball, and if anything. You can see him starting to kind of pull out from it, and actually the guy kicks through onto his leg, which is unfortunate. And it happened, as we all know, 
or played the game. It does happen in football. So I thought it was, I, I didn't, for me, it wouldn't have passed the threshold of, of being, um, you know, you're reckless or, or seeking to endanger an opponent in any way. And, and I'm certainly not to the extent that you could justify overruling the on-field decision uh, and, and saying that it's a clear and obvious error. I just couldn't see that that passed that threshold either. So I thought it was a really poor decision. I don't understand why the VAR operator, it, well, maybe maybe he'd been trained by Alan Muir because that, this is what Alan Muir did at <laughs> Ibrox the other week with, with, with um, seriously, so what Alan Muir did with uh, the other week at Ibrox where he only showed John Beaton the angle that clearly showed Goldson's shirt being pulled. He didn't show the other angles that showed Lindstrom blocking off the player. And similarly, the linesman in this case was, sorry, the referee in this case was presented with a still of Maeda looking like, you know, and, you know, this is why children stop using stills to demonstrate tackles. It's, it's, it's a nonsense. You lose all context. And, and he was presented with this still as the opening image. Um, again, you know, I come back to what does good look like in this in this scenario. I know a lot of people don't in, interested in. James likes to talk about sports, but other people aren't interested in. So it's my turn now. So in the rugby union World Cup final, um, <laughs> uh, New Zealand scored a try. It's a really tight game, so every point was crucial. New Zealand like they scored a try. Uh, it got taken back. The referee had missed a knock on by a New Zealand player. The ball had gone forward off his hand. Try disallowed. But in reviewing all of the angles. The lines. The referee also saw that he'd missed a penalty offence by a South African player, and so the try was rightly disallowed. But New Zealand ended up with a penalty, which at least meant they had to, then got good field position, carry on the tackle. A really important decision uh, in that sense. And the point I'm trying to make is, you don't just provide the referee with the angle that supports your your decision. You you provide him with all the angles and let him make up his own mind. So that was a really mm-hmm. it was a really poor piece of um, VAR. Work and it, and it, and it, I don't I don't think it passed either either of the thresholds for for changing the referee's decision or actually for you know it being a, a, a reckless challenge. So that was a really poor decision. And you know actually you know I didn't realise because I've been digging into this today. That's only the third red card Celtic have had in a Champions League away group match ever. But it's the last two games we've had three red cards. They're the only red cards we've had uh, going back to to two thousand and. One when we started playing Champions League group stage matches, I'm surprised by that. But there you go. Yeah, um, yeah. I think while we're on the subject of angles, I think the Maeda challenge is an angle issue in the sense of, I think he's trying to block the, the shot, and he goes a little bit more straight with his body than intended. But you're right. Like Hermoso kicks him. He kicks about, and I I don't think if you can you can talk about intent or maliciousness or anything like that, if the player it's himself does not make contact with the player that he's tackling. Hermoso makes contact with Maeda. It's not the other way around. So I, I just, I, I thought it was a baffling decision. It was so, so soft. But again, this is what, this is what Atletico do in Champions League games. There was another occasion where uh, the left back got a little, like tiny, tiny little pinch on the head during a challenge and he was down for three minutes holding his face and got up straight away. There's nothing wrong with him. Atletico do this. That's the way they manage these games. It's not a pretty way of doing things. And I think, look, when it's a tight game against like Bayern or, you know, Man City or whoever, and you're trying to 
bridge the gap between them and Atletico, okay, I can make an exception there to a point. But when you are Atletico Madrid playing against Celtic at home in the Champions League and you're still doing it, I just think it's an embarrassing way to approach the game as the favourites. Um, I understand why Minos do that, but doing it as a favourite and such strong favourites, I just thought it was a bit, a bit embarrassing on Atletico's behalf. But that's what you get. You have to expect that with them. So uh, it's really tough. To, and that, that, that's also one of the reasons it's so tough to play against them when you're behind is that they break up the game incredibly well. Every three to four minutes, there's an Atletico player down or they're slowing down a, the play or they're cynically fouling you for a couple of minutes or they're in the rest rest face after a challenge that they know they're not going to get anything from that's just what they do so it's i do have sympathy for the celtic players trying to put up with that while also trailing three nil while then also trailing four nil and also a man down and knowing they're probably uh not going to get anything from the game so uh huge sympathy for the celtic players at the end of the game and um, it doesn't mean that celtic are out of the champions league by the way so very in such a bizarre way after so many poor enough results so far if celtic beat feyenoord and beat lazio and uh, atletico beat feyenoord celtic can still go through in this group which is such a bizarre little way of uh the group handling out so i'm not ruling out celtic getting through the group they can still get third place it's still unlikely they still are probably strong favorites to finish bottom of this group. So that's the reality of where we're at after uh, the first um, four games of the Champions League. Now, I tweeted after the game, or I tweeted yesterday, sorry, a little bit of squad information. So look, I need to add the context to this because people were pulling me up on it. And I knew that this was important context at the time anyway, and um, to say that this is transfer mark data. It's not bulletproof. It's far from bulletproof. There is also, you know, there's all the context that comes with transfer marked. It's not accurate, okay? It's not. It's it's close to accurate, but it's not 100% accurate, okay? People are guessing these values. They're putting evaluation. It's still someone out there who is a human putting evaluation on these players. So that's important context. But if you look at the groups and the, the whole Champions League and the, the teams that are in it, the overall value of the clubs and the players that, the, that are at the club. So again, that's an, that's another thing that you have to, have, have to add to this. It's just the what someone has deemed these players to be worth. So if you look at the 32 teams that are in the Champions League, Celtic are 26th in terms of market value for their players that are at the club. Also included in that bottom six is Braga, Royal Antwerp, Shakhtar Donetsk, Resar Belgrade, Copenhagen, and young boys. Everybody on that list is either bottom or second bottom of the groups that they're in. Look, Shakhtar got a big result against Barca. They can still finish third. They're, they can still qualify from their group, but the rest of the teams are essentially out at this stage of the, the tournament. Going up just a little bit above that, you've got the next group, which is the teams that Celtic want to be competing with most of the time. And you've got Porto, Lazio, Feyenoord, Galatasaray, PSV, RC Lens, and RB Salzburg. And then above that is where Atletico are. They're uh, RB Leipzig, Atletico Madrid, Borussia Dortmund, Real Sociedad, Benfica. So the group that Atletico are with, they are in the range of 450 to 500 million worth of players in their team. 
the group above us are 200 to 290 million worth of players at our team. And the group that we're in are all in the range of uh, 50 to 130 million. Celtic are currently coming in at 130 million for their squad worth. So a lot of information there I know, I'm sorry, but Celtic are where they are. And it is a result of loads of things, be that board investment, uh, poor signings, uh, lots of money spent on mediocre players, not selling players for a good amount of money, uh, poor investment in the market, the way that market has gone. There's loads of reasons why Celtic are in that. But the point that I was trying to make here, James, was that the inequality within the Champions League group is it is what it is at the minute so that the top teams that are I didn't even mention there, the very top teams are worth anywhere between 700 million and a billion and a billion and a half. That's what the upper, upper echelon of the Champions League, that's what they have at their worth at the minute. The clubs that we're trying to break into who are still fighting for that third place in these groups are about 100 to 150 million above us in terms of what their squad is worth. So that is the gap that Celtic need to bridge in terms of the quality of player that they have being worth that amount of money. Like, because that's how football works. The better the player, the more they're worth. I know that varies on what teams are willing to pay for them. A player is only worth as much as a team is willing to pay for them. But you have to say that there is a direct correlation between quality of player and the price tag put in their head. And that's what the difference is between Celtic and Feyenoord and the rest of those teams. Yeah, this is why I've been um, as critical as I've been in the last few years is that this is a inherently difficult gap to bridge um, and requires very smart, um, efficient decision-making. And... You know, when when I started on my crusade uh, before the 2020-21 season about uh, the utilization of Scott Brown, it wasn't specifically about Brown. It was how it was a red flag for not doing the most simple, basic decision making, like the most elementary level within the context of the modern analytics analytics driven um, uh, uh, uh period in in history here um and that's why again it's not about him specifically but the fact that we went into the season with joe hart as our number one keeper with presumably the idea of you know taking a jump forward in the champions league relative to competitiveness it's just that that is so um in violation of the most basic elements of smart decision making the idea that we're going to bridge the gap uh, to the likes of clubs that have twice as much in squad value. Um, but, but I would argue it's, it's unfortunately way worse than that because we do have significant financial resources relative to a lot of those clubs um, if we were doing a smarter player trading model, right? So it's almost like our, our ability to sell out and to qualify um, you know, recently in the Champions League masks how incompetent our player trading model has been. Um, and and so when you net all that out, we kind of come in at this level that, you know, we're in the neighborhood of clubs that we shouldn't be anywhere near 
from a from a squad value or a, a resource um, deployment perspective. So, you know, it, it, it's uh, so basically this is what I've been arguing for years now is that the, it's a misattribution of competence. You have um, people that run the club that have this, I think, a view of competence because of structural issues domestically and how pathetically Rangers were run for a decade, longer than that, but acutely this era. um, uh, And, you know, that that gets um, the mass gets lifted in Europe. Right. And with proper benchmarking, we've talked about this endlessly. Um, So, you know, the, the. we should be competing with not in the same way. Like we're not, I've been saying this over and over again too. We're not going to be Salzburg. We're not going to be Alkmaar, but we need to figure out the Celtic way to get closer to them. Um, and I think that where our squad value is right now is it is a manifestation of just how I use the term incompetent resource management has been. Mm. Um, and, and, and that's given what we, the potential, like the earnings power of Celtic as a club, it, it, it's been, you know, horribly mismanaged. Um, and, and and that's not the same as the financial management, right? These are different things. Um, and, you know, so that that's when you lay out that case and those numbers, that's what it screams to me. Like knowing that all of the caveats that you rightly point out relative to, to transfer market, um, but I, I think, you know, as far as directionally, it's it's probably accurate, meaning that, you know, we're not interested in precision. We're we're interested in kind of conceptual accuracy. Yeah. And look, there were several things that were thrown at me multiple times, Alan. I'll address one of them because it's easy for me to address them and I'll throw the other one to you. And that is that um, that w- the first thing is that Shakhtar got a result against Barcelona and they're in the same group as us. And there was other teams that have, uh, they're competing, you know, they're getting results here and there. My my point is that how many times out of 10 or 15 or 20 games are Shakhtar going to get that result against Barcelona? Very, very few. In the same way the Celtic beat Barcelona in 2012, when has that happened since? They've gotten a couple sporadic big results in Europe here and there, but they're very spread out and inconsistent. So yes, it is not impossible for these teams to get results against bigger teams. Celtic do need to be better in Europe. They do need to perform better. They have performed poor in relation to, I would say, the quality that they have. All that can be true at the same time as saying that Celtic are in the bottom echelon of the Champions League in terms of the clubs. The second thing that was mainly thrown at me was that Feyenoord and some of the teams in the uh, ring above us have a similar turnover to us. In fact, I think Feyenoord had a lower turnover than Celtic over the last couple of years. So what that really comes down to is the investments that Celtic have made. So instead of buying 1.5 million players or a 200,000 million player or 2.5 million player here, that Feyenoord are actually buying fewer players and ending up with uh, a more expensive team as a result, but also buying buying fewer but more expensive players, buying better quality for that little bit more than Celtic are paying at the minute. Um, so the question in a, in a 
shorter way is should Celtic be purchasing fewer players for more money and taking the risk with that? Because more money doesn't equal always better. Look at Ajeti as the prime example of that, or Patrick Kamala or, or Barca. Celtic have spent a little bit bigger into that and ended up with terrible results. So you have to take the risk into account there as well. So, a lot to unpack there. Um, start with that. So, uh, I actually don't care how much Celtic spend on players' transfers. I don't care. Because it's it's a question of value, and it's a question of, of, of market intelligence. Um, and don't forget, the more money you spend on transfer fees, the higher wages you'll pay. So, never forget that. Um, what we're asking for, and this comes back to James' point, so... After this game, you got all of this stuff about, I saw lots of comments along the lines of the board are happy to only be a step ahead of the Rangers and, and win stuff in Scotland and, and they're content to get their dividends and their bonuses. And it almost, the implication of that and the way it was phrased comes across as almost like a sort of, like it's a, it's a conspiracy to do that. But actually, James is 100% right. As with most things in life, it's, it's rarely a conspiracy. It's usually incompetence. Um, unlike Rotterdam, let's go back to Rotterdam because you mentioned them, Feyenoord operate in a highly competitive environment where there are at least three or four other clubs in that league who are equal, equally as talented uh, and resourced as they are, and therefore they are forced by the market to um, become better at player trading and, and other aspects of their operation. And, and Celtic, frankly, aren't in, in an environment like that Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. 
That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And therefore, you know, the board probably right, probably think that because treble, 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 all these trebles, all these trophies, and because we've had some success in player trading, like Jota and uh, for that, you know, Dembele and Edward and all that, and got big money in for some players, aren't we doing well? And by the way, the PLC is doing well, the making money. All of those things, if you just looked at it uh, from a KPI perspective, um, would suggest that you're operating a very successful organization, you're you're doing very well in your core business and you're making money as well. Brilliant. Everyone's happy. But as one of the things that James and I especially have been trying to say for all the time we've been doing this podcast is, is that they're using the wrong benchmark. They're assessing themselves against the wrong benchmark. They should be, they should be marking themselves against how uh, peer peer clubs in Europe are doing, and so this is the problem that we have, and it's a it is a competence problem. Um, we're geared up to be successful in, in in Scotland, and we think that because of the players that we get and uh, in Scotland, that therefore the all the people behind the scenes making these decisions are, therefore must be great. Uh, but but it doesn't scale to Europe. Why? Because they're not as great as you think they are, and, and they aren't great when you compare them to the benchmarks. You should be comparing them against it. How's how's my head of recruitment doing versus Feyenoord's head of recruitment? How's my chief scout performing versus Porto's chief scout? That's the benchmarks you should be using. To judge the staff. So it's all not it's not all doom and gloom. Remember, Rogers left five years ago, which is the last time Celtic played in the Champions League, other than last season. And I'll come back to that point. That's a, that's a second that addresses your second question. And and one of the reasons that he left was because the basic infrastructure of the football club didn't match what his idea of a modern football club should should be. Now, fast forward to now, and largely many, many of the components of the infrastructure and the football operations have been brought up to standard, have been uh, modernised. So we're talking about things like the facilities at Linux Town, the type of stuff that's in the gym, the you know, cryogenics, cold, cold bath technology, all that sort of thing. And we're also talking about you know uh, roles and responsibilities, so analyst jobs, sports scientist type job, we're then talking about things like software, capabilities, all that, right? Organizationally, um, you know, in terms of the infrastructure, a lot of the building blocks are in place. So then you come to the next question is, do we have the talent in the building to run those departments and run those functions uh, optimally? And this is where I think my mind is focusing in on that I don't think we do because of the evidence of what we're seeing in Europe and evidence what we've seen recently in recruitment is... We've, yes, tick, 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 got the organisational blueprint, got the capabilities, got the infrastructure, but we don't have the talent, right? And, and that's because, and again, it comes back to because we're not using the right benchmarks to assess that talent. So that, 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 I think that covers a lot of the, the first points. That's not about spending a lot of money on players. That's about getting the right people to find the right players, uh, the right, uh, the right price point to develop. So it's, it's more Matt O'Reilly's, not necessarily more Edwards. Right, because you know you can get burnt quite easily spending nine, ten million on a player. If you do find a nine, a player at nine, ten million, and they're they're so good that you you almost guarantee that they're going to be successful, and that's fine too. <laughs> it isn't one size fits all. It's all about finding value. I want to then come back to the second part of that, what you said, which is just around. Uh, really, it comes back, and it actually comes back to what you were saying about the way that Atletico Madrid performed and and, and some of their behaviours. It just comes down to sheer experience. Celtic haven't been in this competition for five years. These players don't know what it's like to go to Atletico Madrid, play a team of that calibre, be down to 10 men 
and know what to do in that situation. Well, they do now, <laughs> but they kind of learned the hard way, but that's how you learn, mm -hmm. unfortunately, right? Um, I go back to, you know, not all, all examples stand the test of time, but just think about Manchester City, right? Manchester City have probably been um, heavily moneyed and backed uh, and operating at the Champions League level for just over 10 years now, right? And if you look at their performance uh, over that time, when they first got into the Champions League, they got into the, the last 16, didn't get out of the group, last 16, last 16, semi-final, last 16, quarter-final, quarter-final, quarter-final. Didn't get to a final, right? Despite all that investment for about 10 years after they first got into the Champions League, during the first three or four seasons that Manchester City were in the Champions League group stages, they hardly ever won an away game, right? It took them about five years to learn how to turn some of those losses into draws. And now, 10 years later, they hardly lose an away game in the Champions League. And of course, they won it for the first time last season, about 10 years after they started learning how to be a Champions League club. Now, this is the arguably the richest club in the world, right? It's taken them 10 years to learn how to win the Champions League. It took them five years to learn how to lose every freaking away game. So this is what you're up against. And if you add in the fact that we're a pot four team and, and we don't have the commensurate, we have talent commensurate with that, um, I'm not going to say we throw our hands up there and say it's hopeless. I'm saying, you know, be realistic about your expectations. This is really tough. This is a really tough environment. And our players are only going to get three games a year at this current rate at maximum. Three games a year to learn how to go to Rotterdam, how to go to Italy, how to go to Spain, how to go to, um, you know, Ukraine or whatever. And, and, and what does it take to get a result? Martin O'Neill's team didn't do it. They didn't win a single game under Martin O'Neill in the Champions League group stage. Gordon Strachan, that you got to the last 16 twice, never won a single away game in the Champions League. In fact, I think he lost every single one. Let me just double check that. Somebody will fact check me on that one. Um, yeah, Gordon Strachan lost every single away game he played in the Champions League group stages. Still managed to get through to the to the last 16 twice. So this is not easy. So we come back, we come back to, if you're using the wrong benchmarks to assess your capabilities, and therefore you don't have the talent to do the things that help you mitigate that you don't have the money to spend as your peers do, then even inevitably you're going to continue to fail. Yeah. yeah. There, I mean, like... I, mean, like, I I think the thing that most people uh, thought I was getting at with the tweet was that Celtic spend a hundred million and things are fixed. That's that's not what I was saying. Um, I was just saying no, this is no. just sort of an example. Not of with this current and, recruitment and scouting in place. Exactly. <laughs> we'll you, you still you still need yeah you still need better players. You still need better people to bring those players in. And you need to be able to identify them better. Now, if Celtic get better recruitment, better analysts, better scouts, there's a potential that Celtic could bridge that gap with 40, 50 million. It doesn't actually take that much. But I think one more thing that I think that needs to be recognized within this, um, as well as the insurmountable gap between the smaller teams and the, the, Cel uh, the bigger teams in the Champions League at the minute, is Celtic are in a very unique geolocation in terms of bringing in players and the league that they're currently playing in does hinder Celtic when it comes to European competition because it's not a competitive league for the most part. The weather's a bit shit in Glasgow. That is a real, list, that is a real thing when it comes to recruiting players. I'm sorry to say it, it really is. But also, you're, 
if you take it, take Feyenoord as the example, right? Because they're close enough to our turnover. So it's realistic that Celtic could be aiming to be where Feyenoord are at. But the thing that really, really stands in Celtic's way is that Feyenoord are operating in a pool of Dutch players, of Danish players, of all the Nordic countries, the German, uh, the German league, top and below, and the Austrian league because of the the area in the world that they are located. Because Netherlands is close to these countries, they're they're they have a a pool that the younger players that they send out to the world if they leave Netherlands if they don't go into the Dutch league, they tend to go to better leagues. Celtic's younger players do not have that, so Celtic aren't able to bring in the best and brightest of Scotland because most of them end up in England and they don't come back because the wages are better and the talent pool is better. And if they don't come back and they don't make it in in Scotland, they're not coming back to Celtic or the bigger clubs. They're coming back to lowland teams or to highland teams and they're not coming reimbursing back into that talent pool. So while Celtic could go out and spend 5 million on a player, Feyenoord could go out and spend five million on a player, but it's in a completely different pool because they're able to get those players in from better talent pools for less money. Celtic want to bring someone in from the German league. They're paying more than Feyenoord would be because Feyenoord know these these uh, these markets better than Celtic, so the ident- the identification of those players is easier for them in the long run. So there's so much that goes into this that is a mixture of the toughness of the location, the budget that Celtic are working on, the benchmarking that they've had, the talent pool that they have in the in the country, the league that they're playing in. Like this is not just as simple, James, as saying the board are incompetent, Celtic are shouting Europe, it's never going to change what Peter Law is in charge. There's like 150 maybe more factors to consider here before we get to a point of, okay, yes, yeah, Celtic can can really make inroads here. One one of the things I've said uh, many times is that the the, the board, you know, the, the irony of um, some of the anti-board sentiment, uh, which again is I, I think fully understandable in many regards um, from an emotional perspective, but that the, the board members are basically um, mostly guys at the pub with other supporters. I mean, and that that's the level of. Um, you know, sophistication as far as um, the decision-making has been. And, you know, p- part of that is the challenge of the culture of football in Scotland. Um, I mean, just, just look at the, the, the pathway of talent that has come out of Scottish football in the last decade and how much of it went through Celtic, right? Uh, the, 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 the um the way and again you know i'm just some guy in america touting off spouting off about um a place i don't live obviously but you know looking at how somebody like aaron hickey was perceived and the sentiment towards a young player starting at hearts is it shocking that he's at brentford now like it shouldn't have been I mean, he was a talented athletic guy who was developing and the snobbery almost uh, within uh, that I've observed relative to Celtic and saying some of these, you know, like Ferguson, like, you know, some of these guys that have gone on um, to play in other leagues and be proficient. And again, it's not to say, you know, Ferguson's a little different because of the fit, 
you know, and again, that's about circumstance and, you know, how the, the strengths and weaknesses of a player. But there's been, you know, a decent amount of, you know, John McGinn. There's been certain players that have come through that are kind of the cream of the crop domestically talent wise. And, and to again, to me, that's another symptom of talent identification, resource utilization, um, and some of these kind of inherent biases that exist domestically um, that probably view, you know, and they value certain things within domestic players, you know, a little differently um, than kind of the, the best practices, shall we say, um, globally. Uh, so I think that's another challenge, which is, you're right, like, all of these issues are, are um, significant hurdles to overcome. Um, but almost in this like challengingly difficult way, we're holistically failing on most fronts. I mean, we're not even getting the best within Scotland coming through. Um, so, you know, you would, if, if the, that pipeline isn't what everyone would hope and we're still not getting the best coming through and we're certainly not manufacturing them, quote unquote, relative to the youth and, and again the structural challenges there that hopefully you're going to get addressed but you know the totality of all of this goes back to this issue and I, the one thing i will say relative to alan's point and i and i i think there's certainly you know issues relative to profile um on on cvs and that kind of thing as far as um uh s- staff at the club but you know i it, it rots from the the head right and we still have you know, I, I, I've said this before. I mean, you, you still had a, the chairman of Celtic in November of 2021 saying that they shouldn't have let Scott Brown leave and that he should have been effectively a focal point of Ange Postacoglu's midfield. I mean, you've got Dermot Desmond, whose footballing ideas are from the 80s. And, and these are people who are directly involved in decision-making. And we don't know what the decision tree is. We don't know how much stuff is coming from the staff and then getting squashed by people that, you know, have other ideas. So maybe the recruitment team is identifying a bunch of good people. And then you have somebody from the top down squashing stuff and say, Oh no, we're going to, you know, because I've got a relationship with an agent, we're signing Joe Hart as the keeper, um, that kind of thing. I mean, we don't know. Um, that would make more sense. I mean, I, I, the, the disparity here between some of the signings relative to what, you know, it's almost like you'd have to be blind relative to analytics and, and um, higher quality data um, to, to make some of the decisions. So to, to me, it's some kind of pool of all the above. Um, mm. and, and, and until leadership, um, you know, has a top-down cultural drive towards some of this stuff. And this also fits with the benchmarking and everything that Alan said. Um, so that, that to me, is continues to be the big issue. Um, and so far with, you know, Nicholson coming in at CEO, and I, I said this in the past, probably not on the show, but, you know, to me, it's always a red flag when a company hires a lawyer as the CEO. Um, you know, having been involved in businesses and analyzing businesses a long time, you know, lawyers are not typically the profile of people that are growth minded, um, you know, innovative. They tend to be risk averse. They tend to be understandably like that's their job. <laughs> um, they're into negotiating and they're into risk aversion. 
Um, so we're, we're kind of getting what you would expect from a top-down perspective, given the people involved, in my view. Mm. And until that shifts, probably, you know, you've got a lot of hardworking, smart people, even potentially at the club, that are doing it within a culture and an environment that's pretty tough. Including, yeah, including I mean, Roger, including it, Brendan Rodgers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and none of the sort of context or I, I'm not I'm not going to call them excuses because they're not excuses because they are real. I, I think they're more just realistic facts in where Celtic are in the world of football at the minute that I wanted to point out and the context to some of the issues and struggles that might be to run Celtic in European competition for where they stand in domestic competition. None of that relieves culpability from the people who are in charge because nothing has changed really drastically in Celtic board at board level down to tell you that anything will change in the future. So you need, you need new people regardless of thing, whether things are going well or not, you need to be bringing in fresh voices, fresh ideas. And the fact that the world of football that we live in is so much different now to 10 years ago, never mind 20 years ago. And we still have the same people in the same levels and, and in the same jobs and we're seeing similar results. So until we see change there, I don't think we'll see changes in the recruitment policy or the scouting levels or the players that we bring in or the amount that we're playing, paying for these players. So Alan, like I think my, my, my general point would be that even if Celtic do all this, even if we got the recruitment correct and we got better scouting networks and we got better analytics guys and we make these approaches, my overall point was actually that the Champions League is at a point now that we can do all that and we'll still finish third or and we'll still scrap to finish third. That's the reality of the situation. That's where we're at. And that was my main point. Like if you take one more team that was part of the bottom six that's with us, that I think is a very easy comparison to Celtic is Red Star Belgrade because they've got European pedigree. They're a giant of the club. They're a giant domestically. And they're in the same spot as us where the bigger teams have have just gulped up all the money and money makes improvements and while yes you want Celtic to do all this that that just saying that this is the result of it uh, doesn't mean that they don't have to do it or shouldn't try to do it they should still do it but the reality of the situation is Celtic can do all this and still they will be at the bottom of the rung when it comes to the Champions League because of the way that modern football is set up for the bigger teams to thrive yeah, that that's true. Uh, again, over six games, you know the the width of a crossbar or the a dodgy var call can mean that you finish bottom of the group. Oh, absolutely. But I mean, you know, you said finish third. I mean, God, we'd snap a hand off to finish third in the Champions League. Exactly. Yeah, I'm not saying it's a bad so, thing. I'm not saying. Our, yeah. our, our, no, our target, our target should be to finish third in the Champions League group. A to qualify for the Champions League. B to finish third, and and then th- B C to get. As deep as we can into a, into the Europa League, that that to me is not an unrealistic set of expectations and, and goals for for this for this club. That, that in fact is realistic. But what we're pointing out are all the impediments really uh, to that. Um, which definitely, if you don't fix the structure, you don't have the right people, the right talent, the right organisation, the right culture. Throwing money at players is not going to fix. Uh, not going to fix it. You might get lucky occasionally, but it isn't going to fix it. So. It is important imperative that you get all of the fundamentals uh, right, and you know we've got a great manager. I mean, 
you know, as I say, there's in, in the history of Celtic in Champions League group stages, Celtic have only avoided defeat on six occasions. Half of them were under Brendan Rodgers, right? So we've got, we've got arguably the best manager we've ever had in terms of, you know, and I'm just looking at Champions League away games here as my population of games <laughs> in that sense. But, you know, I would argue a, a lawyer's a slightly better CEO than an accountant, but definitely better than an accountant. <laughs> but but very, it should be, it should be neither. <laughs> you know, James made a great point earlier about, you know, we're not even we're not even picking the low hanging fruit. Celtic, any player who's any good in Scotland and is capable of playing somewhere in the English Premier League should end up at Celtic. End of. Right. And, and and that's not been happening. Okay. So that's that's and that's low hanging fruit. And we're not even managing to, to pick that, right? Um the CEOs are always crucial. Right, we we actually tried to get a, a marketing guy who's more of a sort of forward thinker, right? And he he didn't last very long, as I recall. <laughs> Dominic Mackay. So we we've had we've had, a, we've had a lawyer, we've had an accountant forever, and we've had a lawyer, right? A CEO needs to be thinking where where are we going to be in five years' time, and how are we going to get there? That's what's that's the, essentially the CEO's job in very simplistic terms. It's then it's then the the chief accountant or the chief finance officer, if you like. The head of uh, the head of legal, the head of risks, to to gently apply handbrakes where they need to be applied, if that strategy looks like it's putting the organisation at any risk, right? Not to be run, setting the strategy and running the organisation. That's broadly how it should work in any organisation. And clearly, you know, as a one hundred and one, Celtic do fail on having that structure. But and that's and therefore, to James's point, we can speculate about how good or not. The various roles are that have now got this great technology working in this super facility at Lennox Town. We can speculate on that, um, but we don't know because ultimately we don't necessarily have the right leadership structures in place, and that's just a fundamental. So, you know, therefore, again, it comes back to if you don't have that, I certainly wouldn't entrust those people to go and spend 100 million to your point on, on a load of players, frankly, because I wouldn't have any confidence we'd get a good outcome from it. So, come back to we just need to keep building and getting the right fundamentals in place and it's it's a delicate thing because at the end of the day this isn't uh this is a very small organization and it's going to come down to a few key individuals in key senior positions that will set the, the, the culture and the strategy and if you get them right and they work together well uh, and everybody's pushing in the same direction then you've got a fighting chance so that that's the good news but the bad news is you know, until you don't get that, you're always going to be struggling. I think, to some extent. Mm -hmm. And and yeah, just real quick, real quick, and then let's, if we can, we can move on to uh, Aberdeen and talk about how wonderful they are. But um, is you know, market and competitive environments are constantly shifting and dynamic, kind of these living organisms, and you see that with IAX right now. You see it even with Salzburg. Um, where, you know, clubs have, and I suspect you'll see it with Porto and Benfica over time, and you're, you're starting to see them a little bit, um, where you have competitors eating into their strategic advantages. They have these barriers to entry that they've constructed, whether it's pipelines into Brazil and South America, or, you know, um, you know, Sevilla had kind of a scouting thing going on for a while. But, you know, competitors don't just sit around and not try to think up ways to overcome those challenges. Um, so it, it is a it is a constant engine. This is why I said like a growth mindset. Um, you know, it, it, it's 
the difference between a monopolist and someone who's in a competitive environment that has to continuously reinvent, reinvigorate, uh, you know, uh, recharge the batteries. And th- this is the inherent challenge of being in Scotland and being Celtic, particularly in the last 10 years, is that the market forces domestically to push that have been non-existent um, to a large degree. And, you know, so how, how do you kind of artificially do it, particularly if you're not looking at the proper benchmarking? Um, so, you know, even if we were to move in this direction, it's it, it's almost like a hamster wheel of competitiveness. You have to continuously recharge it. And that's why it ultimately comes down to these things of culture and and the talent of the people making those decisions, because it's really, really hard as IAX is showing this, you know, the last couple of seasons. Yes. And, uh, there are no real concrete answers to whether this will ever be fixed or if it can be fixed. Um, which is fun because it means we can have this conversation every November after Celtic get, uh, get knocked out again in the, in another Champions League campaign. Um, I will say that if there are any other SBFL fans, who are watching and giving out to themselves or in the comments about three Celtic fans uh, remorsing about the lack of competition and financial disparity between them and European uh, teams and find it laughable because of the financial disparity between uh, Celtic and the rest of the SPFL. Listen, this is a Celtic podcast. Of course we're going to do it. Why would I be talking about the difference between St. Mirren and Celtic? I don't know. I don't know St. Mirren's wages, you know, like, Come on, like do it yourself. That's 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 what I have to say to the other SBFL fans giving out to me about not not speaking up enough about SBFL issues. That's not my job. That is not my job. Um, anything else before we finish up? Then any any news? I <laughs> uh, just r- real quick look at looking ahead to Aberdeen because you know they, they've got a tough game. Are they in Greece, Alan? I think that yeah, they're they're. They're, you're on mute, Alan. Um, we're we're in. They're in Greece, and um, they, they're a quixotic team. I, I think they're probably the most fascinating domestic team to analyze this season so far for me, anyway. Um, as far as just the nuances and weirdness, um, you know. For example, they're they're bleeding the league in xG per shot differential, right? Uh, so that they're doing a good job of creating quality chances and an okay job limiting. Uh, quality of chances of opposition and it's just not manifesting in a like a positive i said to, again this to me i've I talked about a, a red flag coming out of last season the underlying metrics kind of being cautious about uh, how robson's maybe managing and um, i think that's continued they, they seem to have decent talent which on, on any one-off game that makes me nervous but um you know given the the composition of the the timeline for them and playing on sunday at celtic park i you know in theory this should be a pretty comfortable game um but they have some guys that can hurt us just because of their athleticism speed and talent um so i'm not sure i would be counting on a a clean sheet but i we should be able to have a comfortable win what do you think alan yeah i mean for me it comes down to as far as Aberdeen are concerned they've got a squad of attackers and midfielders that lends itself to me to play, you know, fairly fast uh, possession-based football. And they don't, and yet they play long ball. And, I, and that is, is, that's, that's the start and end of it for me. They don't, they're not playing a style of football to me that 
make, gets the best use out of the talent that they've got. Um, very, very strange. Um, and, you know, as we've seen the Scottish teams, you know, whatever happens tonight, win, lose or draw, they're going to have to put in a tremendous physical and mental effort away in Greece tonight. It's going to be a hugely demanding fixture for them. Um, they've then got a three to four hour flight back and uh, up against Celtic then on, on a very pretty short turnover, playing two hard away games in a row. Other SPFL teams are just not used to doing that. They just, you know, don't, again, it comes back to experience, like I said earlier. They just don't have the experience of, 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 of being on top of their game for those, those two intense match, away matches within a few days of each other. I mean, one of the, one of the benefits from the game on, on Tuesday was that, you know, O'Reilly, McGregor, Kyogo, Maeda are all pretty well rested because they all got taken off quite early. <laughs> so and they've got, as well as having a couple of extra days on them. Uh, our, our, some of our main attacking talent kind of only played, you know, didn't play that many minutes anyway. So, uh, and, and so I think a Celtic team well rested at home uh, with a lot to prove uh, and, and, a, and a lot of, uh, you know, sort of negativity to get out of the system against an Aberdeen team on a short turnaround, not used to playing such intensity of football in such a short period of time with all the travelling and, uh, you know, all the, whatever it takes out of them tonight, which I'm sure will be a lot. I, I agree with James. I can't see anything more than a, a comfortable uh, Celtic win. Yeah, it's going to be a tricky one for Aberdeen to to turn that around. Is there an airport in Aberdeen, an international one? There's an airport. Um, I don't know that they would. They'd probably. I don't, I'm not sure. There is an airport. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, it's probably Glasgow or Edinburgh. They'd probably have to fly into. Yeah, because like that's that's that that's a journey in itself. You know, like <laughs> if you're doing that by bus yeah. or or by train, that's that's one journey. And I think it's like a an eight or seven or eight hour flight to, the, to Athens. So. You don't know if they would charter a flight. I'm not sure if they're that that wealthy. <laughs> That's an expense. It's it's very expensive. No, no, they might do. They might have a partnership or a sponsor. They'll do it for mm-hmm. them. But uh, I'm just not sure. But if they have to do that, go to Aberdeen from Aberdeen to to Glasgow to to Greece and back, and then play at half two on a Saturday. That's uh, it's a tight turnaround. So yeah, uh, hopefully it will end up in a Celtic win unfortunately for Aberdeen but uh, yeah this is the Celtic podcast at the end of the day so we're going to be chatting about them uh, I think that's where we will wrap the podcast up for the week because we're well over the hour mark at this point if you're wondering why I'm sporting a little caterpillar above my mouth for anybody watching on YouTube uh, it's because I'm raising some money for Movember the link is going to be the first comment is going to be pinned if you want to donate to Movember it's like a, it's for men's mental health uh, men's charities goes to men's cancer charities as well uh, so it's well worth uh, getting involved or getting don- uh, donating to it now so if you want to get involved in that the link will be in the, the pinned comment to this YouTube channel I'll stick it in the podcast description as well uh, James Alan thanks very much for Another long day. I'll catch you next year. This time, same time next year, we book this show in um, to talk about Celtic getting hammered 7-0 by Bayern Munich next year. I think I'd like a fancy a trip to Germany maybe to, to get our yearly throbbing uh, away in the Champions League against a, a giant of Europe. Um, but until then, we'll be back again next week uh, with an Aberdeen review. Until then, we'll chat to you later.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.